Thank you, Tracy, and for all of you ladies and for your stories. And I love that phrase, trophy of grace. I don't know if folks know where that comes from, but it was a favorite phrase of John Newton, in fact. Uh, it was a phrase he used to describe himself. He is, of course, best known as the author of Amazing Grace, the hymn, but uh, he is less known, but equally it's important to know that he was a slave trader and believed himself to be responsible for the death of upwards of 20,000 slaves during the slave trade that he was a part of. But he came to know Jesus. I don't know how, how, how you live with that, the guilt of the blood of 20,000 people on your hands. You don't. It, has to, it will crush you. And that's what, what he discovered was that it would crush him too. And so he surrendered his life to Jesus and he, he finally found relief for that guilt. And he considered himself a trophy of grace as we all are. And you ladies are shining examples of that. And we are so grateful for your testimony today. Thank you so much. I'm going to invite children ages 3 through grade 5 to head down to their uh, Grace Kids class now. And then we will pray and open the word. See you guys. hardly anybody left. It's awesome. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we stand in awe of your power. Uh, we live in an age that is cynical and skeptical. It says that people can't change. It says that we are what we are and there's nothing that can be done about it. And it is true that there's very little that we can do about ourselves. But it is not true that nothing can be done. Father, you are the God who creates new life out of dead, spiritually dead beings. And we have witnessed that this morning. And we praise you and thank you for it. We thank you for the power that you display day in and day out through the ministry of Teen Challenge. And we pray, O oh God, that you will prosper that ministry. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you will bless the women always who come to that place, that they will have an, an experience of your grace that will be life-transforming, and that they will find themselves freed from the chains of their addiction and freed from the chains of guilt and shame and freed from uh, fear of death and even fear of life in some ways. But, and they will, they will be able to embrace the hope that the gospel provides, knowing that they are reconciled to you so that they might be reconciled to others. Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that as Kendra returns uh, to this community in only a couple of days, that you will bless that transition, that she will not be afraid, that she will not... 
fear uh, that the devil will try to uh, overturn all the progress that she's made, uh, that she will be sure that her, she, is, she is secure in her relationship with you and that your spirit is more powerful than the temptations of the devil and your spirit lives in her and that as she uh, is enfolded once again in this community that she does not walk uh, alone in this but she has a family, a true family that she is a part of that will walk alongside her and be her her. Uh, her strength and her her encouragers in the midst of of that journey. Father, we pray, Lord, that that your gospel will not only go out from uh, Teen Challenge and its ministry, but it would go out uh, around the world in churches this day, that it would go out around the world through other uh, ministries like Teen Challenge, not-for-profits that that, uh, have, uh, that pro- proclaim the gospel of Jesus in countless ways. And we pray, O Lord, that the harvest would come in. You, Jesus, told us that the fields were white with harvest. And so we pray that you will raise up workers to go into, uh, uh, into this, their workplaces, into their neighborhoods, into hard places of, of ministering to those with addiction or with mental illness or uh, whatever the case may be, with the light of the gospel of Jesus. Because we know that... that what would it profit a person if they were to gain the whole world yet lose their own soul? Freedom from addiction or freedom from uh, uh, oppression. These are good things, but ultimately what we need is freedom from, our, from the consequences of our sin through the redemption that Jesus provides. Father, we pray that you will bless us as we open your word now and as we study it. Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, we pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Again, I encourage you, uh, we're going to take up an offering at the end of the service uh, in response to the gospel that we have heard today, and that offering will be for um, the ministry of Teen Challenge. So just be aware of that. And I encourage you again to talk to the the gang downstairs after church for a few minutes over coffee. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, our scripture reading for this morning. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature uh, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
This is the word of the Lord. I want to ask you a question about what you heard this morning. You heard both from both Esther and from Kendra their stories. And of course Tracy has shared the ministry of, of Teen Challenge as well. But as you listen to them, what do you think you were witnessing? What do you think you, you saw happen or, or heard the story of what happened? Many people in today's world, they would listen to these powerful testimonies and what they would say is they would say you know what these these ladies they they got religion they got religious and that's a a very good thing we can all use a little bit of that right we can all use a little bit of religion all use a little bit of spirituality we live in a postmodern era and so people in a postmodern era they actually are kind of groovy towards spirituality. They like the idea that maybe there's something beyond the physical world that we can't see with our eyes, touch with our hands, but it's there. And to be able to connect with that somehow, that's a good thing. And of course, because we live in a postmodern culture, we think, you know, all kinds of religions are really offering the same thing. You got your Christianity, you got your Hinduism, you've got your Buddhism, you've got your Islam, you've got your New Ageism. They're all sort of different ways of traveling up a mountain to get to God. And we all meet the same God at the top. We just have different ways of getting there. And it's good for us to, to follow our sort of spiritual path towards enlightenment. It's, it's healthy for us. But what we heard today was a very specific message about these two women meeting a very specific person. They met Jesus. They met the man, the founder, the center of the Christian faith. And what I would like to do this morning is I would like to just remind you of the basic components of the Christian faith. So that we can understand why Christianity is actually unique. It's not like other religions in the world. There's a very specific uniqueness to Christianity. And it's, it's described for us in this passage. You can actually sum it up in three words. Grace, faith, works. Grace, faith, works. Christianity is a, a, a religion that teaches that we come to God by grace, through faith, Four works. And that order is really important. If you, if you were pretending that you were, a, you know, some mad scientist in a, in a, in a, a chemistry lab, you know, you, sometimes when you put ingredients together, the order in which you put those ingredients together matters because if you mix up the order, everything blows up. Well, that's certainly the, the case with Christianity. It's very important to under, understand the order saved by grace through faith for works. That's what we're going to talk about briefly for a few minutes together this morning. The Christian faith is a religion that starts with grace. Paul says at the very beginning, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, etc., etc., right? And then he says in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul says that we are saved by grace. What is grace? Grace, simply put, is undeserved favor. Maybe even more accurately, I don't know, I don't know how the language that you're supposed to use, but it's, it's actually the, it's getting the opposite of what you deserve. 
Because as Paul says in this passage in verse 3, he says, We were by nature, he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Listen to what he says. We were by nature deserving of wrath. This is a a description of how bad our situation is. He says, by nature, we're deserving by wrath. The Bible, let me make this very clear to anybody who doesn't quite understand what Christianity has to say about human nature. It's bad. It's really bad. It says that by nature, the human, all human beings are messed up. We are broken, even the very best of us. It is our nature that is messed up, not just our behaviors. It's not just the things that we do that are our problem. It's who we are constituously. Deep down, we all know that. It's so funny to me when I describe this to non-Christians. They say, man, you have such a low view of human nature. I say, no. Christianity has a realistic view of human nature. Each one of you, after a, a day of slaving away and screwing up and sinning and you lay in bed and you look at the ceiling and you say, man, do I suck. What is wrong with me? I said I wouldn't do it and I did it. I've been dealing with this stupid thing for I don't know how many years and I feel like every time I take two steps forward, I get one step back. You can't, we know we can't keep God's law. God's law is perfect. You can't keep your own law. How many of us are still living with our New Year's resolutions and we haven't blown it once? We can't keep up with God's standards. We can't keep up with our standards. None of us is even who we want to be. Now, some of us end up worse than others. We, we heard about tough stories this morning. And so some of us have worse so-called stories than others, but we all have the potential for the same story. Because our problem is not just that we do bad things. It's because there is something fundamentally flawed with us. It's called sin. We are sinful. And so grace has to be first. This is why grace has to be first. Paul says in verse 1, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. A dead thing can't make itself alive. A dead thing can't even respond to, to outside stimuli. If you see a corpse on the ground and you say, get up, it's not going to do anything. It's dead. Sleeping Beauty. You read Sleeping Beauty and you see that people tried to shake her awake. People tried to make noise, call her to be awake. And she just laid there. What had to happen? She was in a death sleep until her Prince Charming came. And he gave her the kiss of wakefulness. And spiritually, we're the same thing. We are spiritual corpses until we receive from our Savior Jesus the kiss of grace. And when Sleeping, when, when Sleeping Beauty's eyes open, what does she do? She sees her Prince Charming and she sees his love and affection for her and it melts her heart. And the same is true of us. You listen to Kendra and you listen to Esther and both of them describe this experience of, of meeting this Jesus who loved them as they were in that moment. With all the garbage and all the stories and all the sin, they had a mountain of it on their back. And they looked, they wore the, the weight of that. And Jesus 
had open arms and embraced them nevertheless. And so grace has to be first. And, and if you are here right now and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you say to yourself, man, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I, I want to know more. I'm curious. Even in the littlest way, grace is at work in you right now. Right this moment. Because we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead. There would be no interest unless God was at work in you. So I encourage you, keep listening. Grace must be first, but what comes second? Second is faith. That's a, respond to gr- a response to grace. If, if God is, is calling you, if He is working on you, if He is engaging you in some way, what do you have to do in response to that? You have to have faith. Theologians, they talk about the material cause of salvation and the instrumental cause of salvation. The material cause of salvation is Jesus. His death and resurrection. The instrumental cause of salvation is faith. It's the thing that you need to have it. Imagine if you are walking through the desert and you are dying of thirst and you are dehydrated and you come across a well and you look in the well and you see that there is water in the well because it's, the light is reflecting on it and you look around and there's no way to get to the water. And you go, oh no, I'm still dying of thirst. So you walk a little further. But then you come across a rope and a bucket. And you pick up the rope and the bucket. You run back to the well. You dump the rope and the bucket into the well. You pull up the water. You drink deeply and you're saved. Hallelujah. What saved you? Not rhetorical. (laughs) The water. The water saved you. What did you need to get the water? The rope and the bucket. So faith works like the rope in the bucket. Jesus is the water. He's the water of life. But faith is something that we need in order to experience it. Now why is that? Why is it by faith? Why isn't it by brains? Or why isn't it by work ethic? Why is it just by faith? Verse 9, Paul says, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Now, what Paul means by that is, is not so much bragging, like, oh, I'm awesome. Rather, what he means is, is that you have something that others don't have that makes you acceptable to God. If you ask yourself, why am I a believer and my neighbor isn't a believer? Why am I a believer and my friend isn't a believer? Why am I a believer and my, my coworkers aren't believers? They don't, they don't believe it, but I believe it. Why? Because you're smarter than them? Better not say that. Because you're more humble than them. Better not say that. Is it because you're more discerning than they are? You better not say that. It's, you don't, it's a mystery. Why am I a Christian and my next door neighbor is not? It's a mystery other than God gave me this gift of faith And the reason he gave me this gift of faith was so that I could not boast. You know, all of you, I'm sure, know non-Christians who are actually better people than you, if you're honest. Like, they're better parents, they're better employers or employees, they're better friends. They seem extremely morally upright people. 
Christians are sometimes a lot worse than other people. And it is a danger for us to forget that we are saved by grace through faith. And you have this time, have this time and time again in your own life if you are a Christian. Because when you're feeling good and you have a good day and you are very obedient and you, you win, win, you won, sorry, some victory over some sinful temptation in your life or an addiction or, or a, a propensity towards something. Like if you're a parent like me and sometimes your default response to problems with your kids is to respond in anger and this time you didn't respond in anger, you say, oh, good for me. I responded in grace and kindness and and patience instead of anger. Ooh, God must be really happy with me right now. But when you do fail, and instead of responding in grace, I blow up at my kid and I go, oh, I suck, I did it again. God must not like me very much. And we fail to understand that my relationship with him is by grace through faith. And God cannot love me anymore a billion years from now when I am completely perfect than he loves me right now in this moment. Now, what does it mean to have faith? Well, basically, it means to put your trust in another. It's to trust Christ's work done for you on your behalf. If you have a tumor and you go to see the surgeon because the tumor needs to be removed, and he says, I can remove this tumor for you, when are you showing faith in the surgeon? Is it after that? Meeting and you say, oh, okay, yeah, he can do it. That's great. No. No, no, no. It's when you actually lay down on the table and you let him pull the saw out. And he goes to work. That's when you're trusting him. To do his work in you. When you let him do his work in you. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. When you submit, you say, you get to do your work in me. Now, of course, you have to do some work. You have to respond, right? But that's what faith is. Trusting in the work of Jesus Christ for you. And then thirdly and finally, we are saved by grace through faith for works. What is the point of salvation? Like, what is the whole, what's this about What's the end product here? Why did God bother to save us at all? I know that certainly God saved us in order that we might not experience judgment on judgment day. Of course. For sure, that's part of it. But that's only part of it. Paul, Paul says in verse 10, we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that, that word handiwork there, it's a very interesting word. It means word, it means masterpiece. And it's used typically that word is used to talk about very beautiful art, high quality art. Jesus didn't just come to die so that you would know that he loves you. Of course. It's one of the reasons Jesus came to die because Paul says in Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So yes, that is one of the reasons that Jesus came to die for us. But he didn't come to stop there and just let us know, look how much I love you. No, 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 no. He came and he bled and he died. He took the hit for us. He took the punishment that you and I deserve to turn us into something. See, we're, we're, our sin has made us a, a defaced work of art. 
The sin has tainted us to the point that we are not the beautiful creatures that God had created us to be. And Jesus came to restore us to be those masterpieces, those beautiful creatures that he created us to be in the first place. Think about this. If you came with a spray can and you spray painted Grace Valley socks on the wall over there, you'd be like, oh, that's terrible. They did that to the, to the wall. But if they went just a little further over and spray painted Grace Valley socks on that beautiful stained glass window, wouldn't it be worse? Like if your son or daughter comes home with their grade one art project and you put it on the fridge and their sister goes, oh, that's terrible. That's horrible. You say, hey, come on, you know, don't be so hard on it. And they go, oh, it's garbage. And they crumple it all up and they throw it in the garbage because they're jealous or something like that. You say, what are you doing? That's wrong. That's awful. But what if you owned a Mona Lisa print? Or what if you owned an original Picasso? And let's go with Picasso because sometimes that looks like a five-year-old did it. And that's on your fridge. And your kid goes, oh, that sucks. And they grab it and they crumple it all up and they throw it in the garbage. You'd lose your mind because of the value of this thing. See, the greater the value of something, the, the worse the defacement of that thing actually is. And you were created as the pinnacle of God's creative work on earth. You were created in his very image. You were meant to, to picture back to him and to the created order what it looks like to be the divine. And sin has so defaced us that it is a tragedy that we have been infected in this way. But Jesus came to restore that, to wash us clean. That's what the washing with the water, of the, washing with water by the word, is meant to, to describe our cleansing and being made pure and being made holy. Why? For good works. And you might say to yourself, well now what, 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 is, what does good works have to do with that? Well, think of it this way. When we do good works, then we are returning to the image bearer that we were meant to be. Consider this. If you have a vase, let's say you're, let's keep going with kids bringing stuff home. I'm having fun with that. So your kid brings home a vase. I remember doing this on Mother's Day. I brought home a vase that I made. Uh, it, was, it was a bottle with um, basically uh, masking tape on it that was painted. It was terrible. But I made it for Mother's Day, brought it home to my mom, what does she say when, when she looks at the vase? She says, oh, beautiful vase. I love this vase. Now, does she start kissing the vase? Saying, oh, I love you. You're wonderful. No, that doesn't, that doesn't help this vase fulfill its purpose. No, she puts it on the table. She gets some flowers and she puts some flowers in it. And now the vase is on display doing what it is meant to do. And you and I, when we do good works... When we go back to what God has called us to do, to serve others and to love others and to move toward them in kindness and care, the way that God did to us first, we are being restored to the image that we were meant to be. And we do that not to get something from God. That's what other religions will tell you. That if you 
follow the eightfold path or if you uh, follow the five pillars of Islam or if you follow the, the four noble truths or if you do this, then God will be pleased with you. But we don't, we don't do things to get God to be pleased with us. We, we do things because we stand in awe of the fact that God is pleased with us through Jesus Christ already. And we say the only reasonable response to that that makes any sense is to serve him and others the way he served us. Friends, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to give you 30 seconds on that last one. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are things in your life right now, there are people in your life right now that God has put in your path. Your path, not mine, but your path for you to display God's handiwork in the way you love those people. They've been prepared in advance for us to do. You heard Kendra, you heard Esther, both of them talking about how they look back on their lives and they see God has been doing this and he's been there and he's been there and moving me here and moving me there so that I would be here right now. For what? To display his love to someone, somehow, in your life, right now. Right now. And it doesn't have to be hard to figure out. (laughs) Because everybody needs somebody. And so anybody you know needs you somehow. Let's pray.